You're listening to the Quince podcast. Now that the adrenaline rush around the state elections has waned, a quick reminder that the country is still struggling with the second surge of COVID without any respite. India's cases reported a dip for the third consecutive day. However, the country still logged in 3,449 fresh deaths and 3.57 lakh new cases of coronavirus on 4th May, taking the cumulative tally in the country to over 2 crore cases. But the dip cannot be a reason to be hopeful yet, as it has not been ascertained if it has to do with low infections or low testing. While governments say that the infection is coming down in certain states such as Maharashtra, Delhi and Uttar Pradesh, most experts argue that it's the lack of testing and under-reporting of deaths and infections that has projected the dip. Despite this alarming situation in the country that necessitates urgent vaccination for the masses, the wait for vaccine shots is stretching out longer yet as the vaccine stock in the country is all spent up. While states are unable to kickstart mass immunization right away, even Serum Institute CEO Adar Poonawala himself said that the vaccine shortage is expected to go on till July as shots can't be manufactured overnight to meet the demands. But as India struggles to control the second wave, what do the appearance of new variants in the country like the double mutation, the Bengal variant or the triple mutation variants of coronavirus mean? Are the new variants behind this surge? Are more and more variants likely to pop up so long the infections aren't under control? And at a time when our vaccine stocks are running dry, what kind of a vaccination strategy could we adapt to? We take all our questions to India's top vaccine scientist, Dr. Gagandeep Kang. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Shalbri. Before we get to talking about variants and vaccines, let's take a look at some of the important developments around the COVID situation in the country. Firstly, Bihar has joined the list of states that have enforced a lockdown in order to suppress infections. The lockdown in the state has been imposed till 15th May. The remaining season of the Indian Premier League 2 has been postponed with immediate effect after multiple players tested positive. In the backdrop of the vaccine shortage, Pfizer is looking to get an quote-unquote expedited approval pathway for its COVID-19 vaccine. The application was submitted months ago to the Indian government, the pharma company said, but it hasn't received the approval yet. But one of the gravest developments that has perhaps taken a backseat as India is trying to fend off its immediate health crisis is the fact that the unemployment rate has risen to a four-month high of nearly 8% in April with at least 7 million people being jobless according to data from the Centre for Monitoring Indian Economy. The research firm has also attributed the rise in unemployment to lockdowns in states. But while some states like Delhi is trying to address the situation by providing two months worth free ration, other states are yet to announce their plans to protect migrant workers and daily wage earners at such a time. But now coming to the point, as we face this health crisis, there's a lot we still don't know about the new variants that are popping up in the radar and turning out to be the dominant variant in the new infections. As you know, it's being suggested that the double mutation variant, which was first detected in Maharashtra in October 2020, is being suspected to be behind the surge as it was found to be the most dominant variant in the country right now. But is it a variant that should concern us as we look at this massive spike in infections? How much do we know about what this variant can or cannot do? Well, recently on 27th April, the World Health Organization said, and I'm quoting the statement, quote, 
preliminary modeling based on sequences submitted to the Global Initiative on Sharing All Influenza Data, suggests that the double mutation variant has a higher growth rate than the other circulating variants in India, suggesting potential increased transmissibility. End quote. But it has still listed this variant as a variant of interest rather than a variant of concern because a lot about this variant is still uncertain. But if research has suggested that this variant has high transmissibility, then what kind of confirmations are we still waiting for before declaring it a variant of concern and why is it taking so long to confirm facts around the virus? What can be done to accelerate the sequencing of data so that we have more information on this variant? In an interview with QuintFit, Dr. Gagandeep Kang, who is a professor of microbiology at Christian Medical College of Vellore and also a top vaccine scientist in the country, explained a lot of these queries about this double mutation variant. Globally, we don't have any SARS-CoV-2 variants that are at the level of having a variant of high consequence. And the Indian variant, B1617, is a variant of interest because it has mutations that predict that there may be changes in its biological behavior, but we don't have confirmation of those changes in biological behavior as yet. We've probably done in India more sequencing for this virus than we have done for any pathogen. Well, we are in a pandemic where this is a virus that is evolving very, very quickly all the time. So I don't think the sequencing that we are doing is enough. It's not geographically representative. It's not epidemiologically representative. So I hope that the efforts that are being undertaken through INSACOG and others do address these questions. But is it too simplistic to say that it's the new variants that are being discovered in the country that's causing all the spike in cases or are we missing some other factors as well? Dr. Kang says that it's possible that a particular strain is spreading more and outperforming the other strains, but we need to gather more information on the severity of certain variants. But there's a lot more that we need to look at. So, for example, in Punjab and in Delhi now, the proportion of strains that are B117 has increased much more. And this is the pattern that was seen in the UK as well. The strain was first detected in September, but it rose to become the predominant strain only in early December. So similarly for us, we started to see this strain as far as we know a few months ago. And it become, it has become more important. So maybe we imported this variant and then it grew. If we look at the strain that started out being detected in Maharashtra, B1617, what we are seeing there is also an increase in the proportions of sequence strains that are B1617. So even though we don't have biological consequence data, we do have the epidemiological data that shows that as a proportion, the strain is more. Does this mean that this is spreading more and you know, outcompeting other strains that were there before? That's likely. But I think we'll just need to keep tracking it and try as hard as possible to get the other information that we need about severity, about the ability to cause reinfections, 
all of that hasn't been done yet and can be done relatively easily. I don't know why it's not happening. But as we talk about variants, one thing that Dr. Kang points out is that in every person that the virus infects, the virus has an opportunity to change. So I think this shock comes of closing our eyes and expecting things to go away. But when you look at RNA viruses, RNA viruses are prone to mutation. But, you know, among the coronaviruses, SARS-CoV-2 is actually relatively slow to mutate because it has a proofreading mechanism. So it accumulates changes relatively slowly. Why are we seeing this explosion of variants or variants of concern? We are seeing it because the virus is replicating so many times in every person that the virus infects. The virus has an opportunity to change. So the more people that are infected, the more likely these variants are going to arise. The only way of limiting variants is limiting virus replication. And that can happen only if we prevent infection. Perhaps that's what makes it all the more urgent to ramp up the vaccination process. But India's immunization strategy is marred with problems due to inadequate planning. Currently, only about 2.5 million people have been vaccinated in the country, which has a billion-strong population. That makes it only 3.5% of the total population. And it's estimated that a little over 120 million people have received a single dose. But even as India has already started with the third phase of vaccination, health officials in several states said that they're unable to vaccinate people due to supply problems. And add to that the issues of differential pricing of the vaccines as well, that not only belies the principle of public health care, but also increases the health risk of those who will be left out of the vaccination process. And in a previous episode of The Big Story, we also spoke to experts about what are the various problems with India's differential pricing of COVID-19 vaccines for the centre, the state and the private hospitals and how it could effectively compromise the immunisation process. If you missed that episode, please check it out on our show notes. But now that we're already in the middle of a vaccine shortage, what kind of a strategy could we adapt to right now? Can the suggestions of delaying the second dose, for instance, to ensure that at least everybody gets the first dose be a good way to go about it? Dr. Kang explains what the efficacy data of Covishield and Covaxin suggests and if delaying the second shot could be a rational step. Well, there is data for the Covishield vaccine. The UK decided early on that it would, for both Covishield and the Pfizer vaccine, which were the first vaccines that they introduced into their system, that they would delay the second vaccination to three months. Now we have real-world use data of what does a single dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine or the Pfizer vaccine do. And this is data from both the UK and Scotland. Well, from I guess parts of UK that are not Scotland are considered separately. But both of them are showing that there is very good protection against hospitalizations and against death with a single dose of vaccine. So clearly, a single dose is able to protect for at least three months. So I think there is a rationale if you have a shortage of supply with the AstraZeneca vaccine, you can safely delay vaccination for up to three months. For COVAXin, we don't have the data. 
So there, you know, it's an inactivated vaccine. For inactivated vaccines, most likely you will need two doses. There is data from the Chinese Sinovac vaccine being used in South America, where it shows that one dose gives you very little protection and two doses gives you much better protection. So I think for Covaxin, we should stay with the four weeks. But for Covishield, using a single dose and delaying the second dose is a safe way of dealing with vaccine shortages. Yeah. Because, you know, right now what we are looking at is acute protection, short-term protection. Is it working or not? And it seems the vaccine is working, but immunologically extending the gap between two doses might give you longer protection. And we all want longer protection. We don't want to be running around to get booster doses. So I think it's very important to study not only how much protection, but also how long protection lasts if you vary the interval between doses. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story playlist for episodic updates. We'll have on Apple, Google Podcast, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcasts at thequinn.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.